Our second scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 14. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us this day. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jewish people, was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered Jesus, six months' wages would not be enough to buy bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, Jesus told the disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up. And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At Columbia Seminary, where I lived and studied for the three years before I started here at First Pres, the school had a tagline, a sort of motto that you could find plastered on any number of posters and t-shirts and website pages, and it went something like this, nurturing imagination and resilience for God's changing world. It's a lovely tagline. It lifts up the importance of being an imaginative pastor or church leader and thinking creatively about the challenges of a changing world. It highlights the reality that this is going to be challenging work, and it's going to require that ability to bounce back, to be resilient. Imagination and resilience for God's changing world. But as becomes the case for taglines or mottos, the words imagination and resilience started to lose their novelty after those three years of hearing them spouted over and over and over again. By the second semester of my senior year, the word imagination or resilience could elicit a room full of giggles from my senior cohort. If someone accidentally used one of those words in a context outside of the seminary tagline, we would tease them mercilessly. If an unsuspecting professor dared to use that phrase unironically, we would issue a collective groan. The power of the phrase had lost its shimmer, and we were a little bit over it. But a year and some change after graduation, I'm returning to that phrase, imagination and resilience, again, because as it turns out, 
it describes pretty well what it often looks like these days to live a life of Christian discipleship. If you're anything like me, you're getting pretty sick about hearing how unprecedented these times are. But there's some truth to it. None of us have lived through a pandemic like this. We're witnessing an unveiling of injustice that feels fresh, although it's going to remind many of us uneasily of past eras that we've already lived through. We're less than a month away from a pretty wild presidential election. We're not sure what the next semester of schooling is going to look like for our little ones. We're worried about the economy and how it's going to affect poor people. We're unsure of how and when the rituals that give our lives meaning will be restored in a way that we recognize them again. Even for those of us who will be back in the sanctuary for in-person worship later today, things just aren't the same, and we have to be honest about that. Even celebrations these days have a bit of heartbreak in them. Do you have a pit in your stomach now? Yeah, me too. These times require deep wells of imagination and resilience and faith. And Jesus never promised us that the life of discipleship would be easy. But in stories like the one that we just heard, we see the imagination and resilience and deep abiding faith of one little boy who partners with God in the work of miracles. This is the kind of discipleship we're called into these days. This is the kind of miracle-working abundance that Christ creates again and again every day around us. And the little boy in today's story will teach us how to be part of that work. In today's story, we find ourselves on a grassy mountainside near the sea. It's nearing the time of Passover, the festival where the Jewish folks celebrate their ancestors' exodus from slavery in Egypt. We might imagine that in preparation for this occasion, Jesus and his friends are hoping to take a bit of a breather from all the teaching and healing and fellowshipping that Jesus has been doing in and around Jerusalem. But no such luck. A crowd begins to follow them. After all, it's not a secret that this man has been doing all this teaching and healing and fellowshipping. And all of a sudden, Jesus and his friends have a problem on their hands. The crowd on this grassy mountainside is large and growing. And the disciples have been in these situations enough times to know that eventually people are going to get hungry. Jesus, because he is Jesus, knows what he's going to do. He can see the window of opportunity for a miracle of abundance far before his friends can. But he's teaching them, as he's teaching us, to do that work of discernment, too. It's not going to come as easily to them, but Jesus is invested in helping us to see those windows of opportunity. So he says to Philip, where do you suppose we'll get enough food for all these folks? And Philip, still learning how to discern what Jesus is doing, says a six-month salary check couldn't even cover enough food for all these people. I can hear his exasperation. Listen, man, I don't know what you've got up your sleeve today, but I really can't see how we're going to fix this one. But as it turns out, there has been someone on that grassy mountainside all along 
who sees what Jesus is about to do. This is someone with the imagination to see beyond the present moment, to imagine what it might look like for a whole crowd of 5,000 people to be fed and satisfied. This is someone with the resilience to believe that even if the grown-ups around him scoff at his meager offering, it'll be all right. This is someone with the deep and abiding faith to believe that Jesus can do amazing and abundant things with something and someone very small and very unsuspecting. This is not the successful businessman, the powerful leader, the doting parents, the teacher or artist or merchant or religious scholar. It's the little boy who speaks up taps Andrew on the shoulder to tell him that he's willing to share his lunch to feed this crowd. This little boy is the one who gets it. He's the one who discerns what Jesus is doing, speaks up, and partners with Jesus in Christ's miracle of abundance. So Jesus calls the crowd to take a seat, all 5,000 of them takes the little boy's brave, small offering, gives thanks, breaks the loaves, and gives the food to the people. And not only are all 5,000 of the people there full, so are the 12 baskets of leftovers. From that boy's brave offering comes a miracle of abundance, an embarrassment of riches. Today's story ends with the folks in the crowd, eyes wide and bodies filled, saying to one another, this must be the prophet we have heard about. Come now into our own little world. They are amazed, just as they should be. We might imagine that they're amazed for a number of reasons. They have, after all, just witnessed a miracle wrought from the hands of an itinerant preacher They've seen five loaves and two fish feed and satisfy a crowd of thousands, and they themselves, each of them, have found themselves full and ready for their afternoon nap. This fullness, this miracle itself is a surprise, but we might imagine that an even greater surprise is the source of this meal. They have heard rumors of some other stories of miracles with this Jesus, a wedding that suddenly flowed with good wine, a sick person brought back from the brink of death, a man at a pool made to take up his mat and walk. But this time feels different. This time, a little boy is part of the story. And he's not just part of a story, he's a key player in what Jesus is doing in the midst of this crowd. This child is the one who takes stock of what's going on, looks around at the grown-ups, looks down at the little lunch in his lap, and decides it's worth a shot to be part of the story that this itinerant preacher, teacher, miracle worker is writing in their midst. It is a surprise to the crowd that this child is the one who joins in Christ's work of miraculous abundance. But if you think about the children and young people in your own life, is this really a surprise? 
There's a reason that when the prophet Isaiah describes the peaceable kingdom image of the days to come, the prophet says, and a little child shall lead them. The gifts of children are remarkable and abundant, and they will lead us forward in the way of Jesus, even when we ourselves can't remember what faithful discipleship looks like. Spend any amount of time with a toddler and you will be reminded of the awe and wonder of God's creation around you. Hang out with a five-year-old and you'll remember what it's like to learn new things all the time and ask really good questions, a lot of really good questions, and wonder about God's world. Spend an afternoon with a 10-year-old and you'll remember how special it is to learn how to create new relationships and live well in friendship. Pass an evening with a teenager, and you'll remember what it's like to discover the depths of conviction for the first time, and learn how to pursue justice in a world that doesn't seem to want to pursue it. Think about the young people in your life, and you won't be surprised at all that it was a child who partnered with Jesus in this miracle of abundance. Think about the deep gifts and remarkable questions and convictions of the young people you know, and it will begin to make all the sense in the world that the feeding of the 5,000 in John's gospel happens in partnership with a brave, imaginative, resilient, faithful little child. A little child shall lead them. Today, as Donna shared, we are observing Children's Sabbath, which is this interfaith celebration of the rights and needs and gifts of children. It has its origins in the work of the Children's Defense Fund, which is an organization that advocates for the flourishing of children, especially those in marginalized populations. And this year, Children's Sabbath also happens to fall during the Presbyterian Mission Agency's Food Week of Action, where we're encouraged as a denomination to think and pray and act in ways that promote equal access to good food. What better day and week for us to hear a story of Jesus' miracle of abundant food in the face of scarcity. The child in this gospel text reminds us of the imagination and faith and resilience of all the children here at First Pres and in Greensboro and far beyond our own neighborhoods. The child in this story reminds us that part of our call to discipleship is to recognize that if we want to live in a world where children are valued as participants in the work of Christ— We have to be as brave as the little boy who shared his lunch, trusting that Jesus was doing something amazing. I hope that it's not a surprise to you that Guilford County is one of the most food insecure communities in the whole country. This is not a secret. You just have to do a search of our local news stations and you'll find any number of studies and statistics about the lack of food justice in our own backyard. Of course, the pandemic has made this reality far worse, as it has everywhere, and communities that experience poverty are the hardest hit. Things are hard right now, and we know that when children don't have enough to eat, they don't have the energy to learn and play and rest well. 
This means that in Guilford County, right here in our backyard, the window of opportunity for Christ's miracles of abundance are wide open. The Presbyterian Mission Agency says, when the world tolerates the vicious suffering of hungry people, the church is called to speak out and share all that we have. This is hard work. And we take as our cue for this work the way that the child in John 6 partnered with Christ in facilitating that miracle of abundant food for an enormous crowd. As you think about your own life, your own communities, take stock of those windows of opportunity that exist for you to partner with the work that Christ is already doing as God performs miracles of abundance in our midst. Here at First Presbyterian, you don't have to look far to see what God is doing. Just yesterday was our children's Sabbath day of service, where some of you spent the morning at Backpack Beginnings, helping with their work of providing food and supplies for hungry children. Some of you came to the Giving Back Garden to help harvest food and learn more about what's growing there that provides food for our hungry neighbors. Some of you stopped by for our canned food drive or bought a bag of fair trade coffee through Presbyterian Coffee Project that gives fair wages for coffee farmers. And you are all doing this faithful work in many ways in your own lives and communities. In the spirit of children's Sabbath, may we let the little boy from John 6 be our guide to keep at it and keep looking for those windows of opportunity. And when we forget to look for them as we are wont to do, may we be reminded of that call every time we gather at this table. Whether it's our bodies that are gathered here or whether we are scattered in body but united in that common meal at the tables of our own homes, that communion table reminds us that God's table is one in which all people are fed and satisfied. God's table is one where the imagination and resilience and deep faith of all people, children included, is welcomed, and where all people are able to flourish. May the tables of our own lives, our own neighborhoods, our own communities mirror that table. May we open our tables to our neighbors in expansive welcome, and may we remember that it is always Christ, the miracle worker, who is our host. Amen.